Am I starting off this week? You want to? I can definitely start us off. Um, I don't know why that was so difficult in my head to just process. Who are what we? What are we do. doing? Let's. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Daniel. And I'm Frankie. And this is Propagated Podcast. Seven. I had to record this jingle because I thought it was episode eight. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. It's been a, it's been a nice start to this, uh, to this episode. To this podcast. Definitely had some technical difficulties. <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. I mean, though, it's on brand. It's, it's what, what happens. <laughs> it's who we are. I am so excited about this episode because. Neither of us knows what each other are going to do. It's a surprise. Ah, I love surprises. <laughs> it's definitely going to be an interesting one because I kind of went just about as far plant adjacent as you can get for this episode. It's not really about a specific plant at all. <laughs> but it has like it's loosely tied to plants for sure. I think I decided that we're just about the natural world around us and the stories the natural world tells. I was trying to get really poetic the other night. <laughs> sure, I really hope that you hope I really hope that you agree this fits into that realm of ideal. Oh, I'm not uh-oh. sure, but we're gonna see. <laughs> okay, don't spoil it though. Who? Uh, who's leading this week? I forget. You do even episodes or you do odd episodes? I do odd, so it's me this week. It's a very fun episode, I think. I am doing my favorite flower. Ooh. Do you know what it is? I know it's hard. I have no. I'm sorry. I forget. I always forget. You told you've told me several, but I forget your actual favorite. This one, I'll give you a hint. It's my Instagram handle. <laughs> Marigolds. Yeah! It took me a second to think of that <laughs> you were too. Like, uh, like you're trying to <laughs> at me in your head. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm doing marigolds this week. I wanted to do something that is really exciting for me, and they are my favorite flowers. They have so much history and folklore and are just so beautiful, and I'm growing some in my garden right now, and they just, like, I guess I didn't do enough research or whatever, but I didn't realize that they could grow this tall, and my marigolds right now are up to my chest. They're probably, like... Up to your chest? Yeah, they're, like, probably four I've never seen marigolds tall. that tall. Yeah, I'll post a picture. I am so proud of them. They are so beautiful. That's so fun. Apparently, one, it's only one species that grows that tall, but I'm, I'm like, extra proud, too, because I grew them from seed, and that's just, like, an extra feat that makes you feel so good. Right. It's a whole process. You literally got to watch them be the smallest of small babies all the way up to shoulder height. That's crazy. Yeah. And they're, like, huge. They're, like, the size of... How, how big is this big? The size of a beer can. <laughs> how big is this? <laughs> Full circle, we're going to relate it all back to alcohol at some point in each episode, I promise. It's just the way we work. Uh, yeah. um, we know who we are. Beer can size, Herb. <laughs> Herb, beer can size. I mean, not the, it's not the right <laughs> shape, though. Maybe tennis ball? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, tennis ball shaped, sized. So if you're not a drinker out there and still listening to us. <laughs> You've never seen a beer. There's your non-alcoholic, <laughs> your non-alcoholic reference. Okay, whew. All right, whew. You ready? Whew, marigolds. They are native from New Mexico to Northern South America. They are in the genus Tagetes, and they are in the sunflower family of Asteraceae. I don't remember how to pronounce that. Latin is a dead language. It's fine. (laughs) We learned that. We learned that from our friend. So they come from Central America, and mainly Aztec. They are Aztecan to their core. The Aztecs call them Compasuchil, which means flower of 400 lives or 20 flower. I read both of those in two different places, and I feel like they're kind of the same meaning, you know? Like, the whole point is that it's like 
they have a lot of lives and there's a bunch of different heads on them and they live a lot and they have these huge brilliant beautiful things full of flowers that just feel like they keep blooming as they as they open and get bigger the first recorded use was in the de la cruz badiano aztec herbal of 1552 and in there it was said that it's used to treat hiccups being struck by lightning or for one who wishes to cross a river safely. It's wild to me that they would have had enough instances of people being struck by <laughs> lightning to be able to even include the fact that marigolds could have done anything to help that. Yeah, they're like, we've tried everything. Marigolds are the best. <laughs> Ancient Aztec emperors used to have these huge elaborate gardens, and they would never be food, though. There were never food in their gardens because, you know, food was for the peasants, so... They would have these huge imperial gardens that had these incredible show pieces. It was like these huge show places of sacred and rare plants. And one of the ones that was prominent, they're not prominently, but it was definitely always in the gardens was marigolds. And that's such a part of their culture and their gardens. The marigold, which was called Compasuchil, was the flower of goddess, oh, here we go, Chihuacotl. I, I don't know, I don't speak aztec and i looked it up and tried to figure it out so i think we've all give i think both of us have given enough disclaimers on this show to know that we are obviously not experts in any language yeah and maybe don't judge us if we pronounce something wrong come at us with the correct correct pronunciation if you want to i love that i would like to know how to say it correctly but i'm kind of just swimming in google translate right now which gives you like five different things (laughs) Okay, Chihuahuacotl, Chihuahuacotl, who was the goddess of childbirth, and she helped pregnant women and honored them in their death. Like, basically, if they died during childbirth and such, she was, like, their goddess that took care of them and honored them. And in the Aztecan culture, this was a role that was regarded as the same level as, like, a warrior. And warriors and people who would help women in childbirth and do that sort of stuff and like help um, honor them after they're dead were actually the two clearest paths to the afterlife in Aztec culture. How fucking cool. This flower, Compasuchil, is just steeped in death. Like its lore is just all about death in a whole lot of different ways in a whole lot of different places. So because of child, like, you know, these flowers were used um, to honor women dying in childbirth and child death, um, marigolds to this day still have that lore. And although it is, you know, Christianized now, it's still used in Central America for All Saints Day, All Souls Day. You know, you see it a lot in Mexico, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. It was used as medicine for intestinal worms, and it was often smoked with tobacco to provide hallucinations, although it isn't proven that this actually happens. It's just written in history and lore. <laughs> but a lot of people have tried it and said it doesn't do anything, so. <laughs> Sounds like in my next spliff, I'm gonna have to dry up <laughs> and grind up some marigold to add. Let's get fucking high with the dead, Daniel. Into it. I have so many ghosts in this house, like all of the time. Me and my partner will see outside of the window someone walking, and then we'll go and look out and there's nobody there. And both of us at separate times have seen ourselves walking outside. And it's like there's some sort of weird patch behind our house where it's just like constant ghosts walking. It's so strange. I could deal with seeing a stranger. (laughs) I don't know how I would deal with seeing myself, though, because that seems like it might be more than just a ghost. Honestly, oh, that's true. And that's a little sketchy. I don't know, though. I see it more as like fourth dimensional kind of something we don't understand where it's like you know you've worn this energy path into the land and the land remembers it you know i don't know i have been reading a lot of backwoods witchcraft shout out to jake richards for backwoods witchcraft really great book about um folklore traditions in southern appalachia and you know that's part of it too i learned that old houses like this always have ancestor corners And so I found ours, and it's super, like, overgrown and gross and, like, dirt everywhere. So I'm going to dig it out and make it pretty. But I think that's part of it, too. (laughs) Jake, I own your book, and I promise one day I'll actually get around to reading it. (laughs) I just haven't yet. But it sounds really awesome. It's highly recommended for me. It is so cool. Um, 
super inspiring, especially, and I, I love the, I love this area of the world. It's just so, there's so much beautiful folklore here, and these mountains are so old. <laughs> so, like I said, they would roll it up or smoke it with tobacco to provide hallucinations. So this led to them thinking that these flowers had a calming effect. And so they used to throw marigolds at the prisoners that were going to be used as human sacrifices to try and calm them. <laughs> so wait, they just threw the, threw the petals raw flowers. Yeah, like fucking plant confetti. Because I'm sure that's so calming when you're about to go to the top of a temple and be sacrificed. Just people throwing petals at your fucking face. God damn. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate, I guess, the thought behind it. At least you're trying, but damn, guys. But that's why, to this day, this is the marigold is the most abundant plant in the sites of human sacrifices. I mean, it stands to fucking reason. Yeah. People are throwing Those seeds all these be seeds. everywhere when they're yeah. throwing them at you. So, Maya priests used to bathe in infusions of marigolds, and before, like, they would call on the spirits. In the 1500s, marigold seeds were taken to Spain to be grown in monasteries in obviously very violent ways because the Spanish conquistadors were not, you know, brilliant people, very bloody. Weren't exactly known for their kindness. Not exactly known for their kindness or love of indigenous culture. So there's one species of marigold in particular, the Tagates patula. The Tagates patula is red on the outside and gold on the inside, and it is the symbol of the slaughter of native peoples because the yellow on the inside is their bodies and the red is their spilled blood. Damn. Yeah. I've actually grown these. They're really beautiful. Well, it only stands to reason that you pick a beautiful flower to symbolize something in memoriam, you know? Yeah. Like that's, that's a fair thing. I feel like, too, I'm really drawn to this flower, not only because of my personal history with it, which I'll talk about in a minute, but also because I feel like I'm a very, you know, I love the whole memento mori, memento vivere idea of, like, remember to live, remember you're going to die. And I feel like so many people, or it's, it's just, I like the, like, weight of that, too, of, like, remember, like, death is a part of life like it is inseparable from the human experience and like this flower just symbolizes all of that you know no it's definitely a very beautiful i mean both of those have lived as long as they have those sayings i mean have lived as long as they have because they do carry some really cool weight behind them you know like it's a really interesting concept to force yourself not force yourself but remind yourself to think about the fact that one day you're going to die whether you like it or not, but also you can't use death as a way to propel your life. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember to live before you die, too. I think it's a, really, it's a really cool thing. Yeah, totally. So it has a lot of cool stuff behind its name, too. So it's genus Tagates. Or, I'm sorry, I pronounced that wrong. T Tagades. Tagades. So Tagades was an Etruscan deity. I had to look it up. Apparently, Etrusca was ancient Italy. Like, it was like a part of ancient Italy. Kind okay. Of like, I was about to ask because yeah. I, I knew that that sounded familiar in my head. I know I've heard that word before, but I could not place it. I was like, what the fuck is ancient Etruscan shit? I don't remember. Disclaimer, I was, I think we've talked about this before too, but I was not a history person until like pretty much we started this podcast and I'm now getting into it and I feel like I like am this baby swimming in this little, tiny pool of like, all of the world's shit, and I'm like, oh, I'm trying to figure out where everything fits. <laughs> I mean, literally same, though. I've never give a fuck about anything historical. And then I start doing research, and I'm like, damn, when this I relate cool. history to things I'm actually interested in, it's really fucking cool. And now I'm, like, delving into it. Yeah, and I'm like, I should know about this super brutal thing that happened. Like, why do I not know about this? Uh, so, tragedies was an Etruscan deity. He was the son of Jupiter, and he was a human prophet with magical powers. He sprung from a completely plowed field, fully adult, fully human. Okay. He's like, what's okay, up, guys? Come I'm at here. me, Tagades. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot, but come at me. Let's, let's find out about this Tagades guy. <laughs> so how he got the name Marigold, 
this one's really interesting to me. So in Spain, they would place these flowers in um, altars after they came to Spain, and they were grown in monasteries and such, and they would place them on Mary's altar. And they were so beautiful sitting there all gold and yellow, and so they started to call it Mary's gold. Marigold. Fun fact. Into it. The problem with that, however, was that there was already a marigold. <laughs> Calendula, which is a completely different flower. So if I was finding out a lot in my research and everything that, like, calendula and marigold are so hard to separate when it comes to history because, like, they just adopted the same name. But basically your kind of compass for that is if it's pre-1500, calendula. It's not a marigold because they were not introduced to the world yet. Damn. I mean, 1500, that's a it's a solid piece ago. It's a solid piece ago. So it's been, it's interesting too, because calendula is now called pot marigold, but it is a huge plant in healing and herbal culture. So it's, whereas marigolds aren't, like they are slightly poisonous. They're not poisonous, but toxic in a lot of ways too. So it's like not really a great mashing of names. <laughs> not necessarily the best, especially if you're going to go that holistic route and try and figure out the medicinal properties. Yeah. That's fair. And they do kind of look similar, too. I have both growing in my garden, and at least in their leaves, I feel like, well, not so much. I don't know. It's just, if you didn't know a lot, you would be like, uh, I don't know. Looks like a fucking yellow flower to me. <laughs> I'll rub it on my wounds. If any of you young, holistic practitioners are reading tomes pre-1500, make sure you're not using modern-day miracles <laughs> in your medicines. Yeah. So, again, I feel like, you know... Day of the Dead is something that a lot of people know about. It's a, I guess, holiday? I don't know if holiday is the right word, but it's an event in Mexico. The marigolds are used for that, and they're used on altars and used on graves, and basically, other than the you know rich lore that I've talked about, it also, the strong odor of the marigold is meant to bring the dead back home, and so a lot of times they use these marigold paths to lead them from their grave to their um, respective family's home because of how strong the odor is of marigolds. That's really cool. A nice little scent marker to find your way home. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. India also uses a lot of marigolds in their festivals and weddings even. I've gotten to make quite a few marigold garlands for weddings, for Indian weddings. Um, they used to decorate all of their gods in these huge marigold garlands during harvest festivals. And still to this day, they're used in, oh, I don't, I don't know the actual term, but it's like these little pavilions and you hang the marigolds on them and it's really beautiful. Let me tell you about why it got popular in America. <laughs> Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Was that a nice transition? Was that super smooth? <laughs> I mean, the smoothest I've heard so far on this podcast. <laughs> okay, first of all, ouch. Second of all, true. <laughs> So after the Revolutionary War, seeds were shipped to America to kind of, you know, spread the flower a little bit because seeds were going fucking everywhere at this time. No one gave a hootenanny about where they were going, what they were sending, what kind of bugs they could have on them. They're like, here, have these cool flowers, <laughs> which we've talked about in previous episodes. Yeah, we've <laughs> actually covered that one a whole yeah. lot. <laughs> That's whole like our lot. overarching theme so far. Um, in America at the time, the most popular flowers were sweet peas and asters, but unfortunately, these were so monocultured out that they were declining rapidly and they were not doing so hot, and there, it was prime time for a new flower for people's gardens. So in 1915, David Burpee of the Burpee Seed Co., <laughs> I was about to say, that's a, that's a familiar name. I know that one. I know that one. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was the son of the founder. He featured them in all of his magazines and funded a whole lot of research. And so it got super popular after that, especially in America, because everyone was looking at these beautiful, I mean, they're beautiful. Oh, I love marigolds so much. If you haven't seen one, Google it right now or go check out our Instagram. <laughs> I love that. See, I'm not much of a fan of cup. I'm I'm not as big of a fan of flower arrangements or like the really showy flowers. I like weird flowers. That's mm -hmm. kind of always been my draw. Not to say that there's not a lot of 
beauty behind your more standard flowers. Marigolds are a little weird looking, but I just feel like that that you I've seen them since I was a little kid, so it's like familiar. Seems kind of um, they're just very familiar. And I like flowers that I'm like, oh my god, what the fuck is wrong with that flower? You look like an idiot, and you I look love like it. An alien, <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. The rest of my favorite flowers mostly are alien looking, but I guess maybe um, for me, it's like marigolds have such rich lore that I see them as weird flowers because, like, even like the term deadheading, I just I don't know. Okay, so when I was growing up. I had this little garden of my own and my dad like kind of taught me how to garden and he taught me all about marigolds and he was like hey if you want them to grow beautifully you have to pick the dead heads off like once they're dead you gotta pluck them off and here's where you put your thumb and here's how you pop them off and like it is such a huge theme throughout my childhood of my hands always smelling like marigolds because it was like my job to pick the deadheads of the marigolds. And so it was always like, I don't know, this weird practice. And so I always thought this flower was like the weird one that needed taking care of, but also represented death and like, and dying. And it was like, I guess that's kind of my aesthetic of like morbid, but beautiful. <laughs> I'm into it. That's the per that's honestly like the perfect aesthetic for anyone, right? I love yeah. that. <laughs> That's very much our aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess if you were meeting a marigold for the first time, you'd be like, yeah, that's a beautiful, very petally flower. Kind of looks like a carnation, which, ooh, first of all, ouch. Don't ever say that in my presence. <laughs> Carnations are making a comeback. Anyways, I digress. I think for me, it was just more about the fact that I didn't know any of the lore until today. And now they are way oh, more interesting really? flowers because I've am learning about some of the history behind them. I don't know the history behind most flowers that I look at, except for a few that I've actually gone deep into thought about, so. I am so happy I get to introduce you to marigolds properly. This is like, oh, that is the greatest thing my heart could accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, David Burby made this super popular. Everybody loved it. It got so popular, in fact, that in the 1950s, Illinois Senator Everett Durkinson petition to make it the national flower of the united states of america well damn didn't work obviously our national flower is the rose but <laughs> right i mean i knew that but it's crazy that somebody even tried to petition that yeah marigolds are a seriously awesome companion plant in your garden especially if you're growing veggies because they repel bunnies and they are great at repelling nematodes and insects, and they're even poisonous to nematodes and insects. Nematodes are microscopic worms in the dirt, if you didn't know. Damn, that's really fucking cool. Yeah, and for up to three years, that's how poisonous their roots are. Wait, so three years even after they die? Yep. They've left deposits that are able to kill nematodes and insects? Yep, you got it. Fucking wild. Yeah. How cool is that? I love marigolds. They're the death flower. They're seriously the death flower. <laughs> Literally in a lot of different ways. You've, you've proven today that in a lot of ways, marigolds are great at representing death. Yeah. Um, I, fun fact, am huge into natural dyes. It's one of my hobbies. And marigolds are actually really fun to dye with. I've dyed with them a few times, and they do this, like, bronzy yellow to kind of gold color, depending on your process and how long you steep it for and all that but for a long time people have fed them to their chickens because it gives their chickens brighter feathers and yellower eggs damn get your award-winning chickens with some marigolds <laughs> crazy shit how, you, you just never think about shit like that or i never do at least i never think about oh you want to have some prize-winning chickens feed their asses some marigolds. It'll make <laughs> yeah. their feathers brighter and their eggs more yellow. What yeah. even? Dye your chicken from the inside. <laughs> it's way better. Way better for them, I'm sure. Uh, some So some modern lore that I have is that the marigold water, if you take like the dew of a marigold and you rub it in your eyes, it'll give you psychic visions, which I feel like we should try. <laughs> I mean, I'm not against trying that, but I also want to reiterate the fact that I don't recommend that for anybody who's not willing to take liability for their own actions. We did not tell you to <laughs> oh, do yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Cover our asses. <laughs> good, good, good idea. <laughs> we did not tell you to do that. It was simply, it was, it was lore, okay? 
<laughs> if you take a bath with marigolds, you will win the adoration and respect from everyone you meet. And I feel like I already do that, but I'll try. Try and make it better. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Apparently, this one's a big one. If you are going to court and you need justice on your side, put a marigold in your pocket and justice will be on your side. No, love that. I'm sure I'll use that one day in the future. Yeah, right. I'm like, store that in the brain pocket. If girls walk on marigold petals with bare feet, they will learn the language of birds. Why well, gotta be just girls, though? <laughs> I don't know the language of birds. Well, Damn. we'll try it. We'll try it and see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> this was from my um, Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. I just, I think that book is so inspiring. It's so sweet. But yeah, that's the marigold. Anyway, plant it in your garden. It's the best. I love it. And look at pictures because they're beautiful. Sorry, I'm struggling. My Sorry, AirPod I'm struggling was like... is my theme of 2020. <laughs> Big facts, <laughs> God. Could you make an even an any more accurate slogan than that? Oh my God, it's true. Anyway, shout out to everyone listening to this right now. You got this. We got this. Whew. We're doing it. We're doing the damn We're doing thing. The damn thing. Look at us go. All right. I feel like I will not be talking nearly as long as you just did. Did I talk long? How long was that? I th- I only had two pages of notes. It was probably like 30 minutes. There's a lot of like intercourse in between. Intercourse. Intercourse? <laughs> oh, no thanks. <laughs> Obviously not what I meant. <laughs> I was thinking the other night, I was like, I feel like Daniel and I are so far from each other's types that you like couldn't get farther. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't think that that's, I, I agree with you. <laughs> Entirely. I don't know that I... Yeah, no. Mm-mm. I mean, you're beautiful and all, but... Oh, thanks, Daniel. You're so handsome. Even with my soccer mullet? Uh, especially with your soccer mullet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Fun fact. I wore my marigold color shirt for you today and for this episode today, but it was really hot, so I took it off. <laughs> <laughs> the other day and I was just like fall 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 and I like could feel you panicking from across town being like oh my god <laughs> I'm going it's... on the lake oh <laughs> uh, it's true though I literally was like I felt so bad because they called me and I was like fuck I really want to go to the lake but I didn't want to upset Frankie at all and like it really gave me like an ang- like some severe anxiety but I was like you know what Aww. I'm gonna go and I know that Frankie's going to be fine because Frankie is Frankie and she's known me long enough to know that I'm not going to miss out on the last legs of summer. Yeah. And we're going to make it work later in the week and it's all going to be okay. And so I was like, I was, I was legitimately waiting for you to respond to that message to tell them whether to go or not. And I was like, well, maybe Frankie's not awake yet and it's really early. I'm just going to tell them yes and I'm going to see what happens. And then we were on the way there and you finally responded and you were like, absolutely no, it's fine. It's totally okay. Like, we'll just record later. And I was like, thank fucking God because I would have had a shit day if she was like, no, we need to record today. And I knew I wasn't going to be back until like 8 p.m. And I was like, I'm going to be drunk and it's going to be 8 p.m. But I'm going to make it work if she says we need to record (laughs) today. Oh, thank you for your dedication to this podcast. No, (laughs) literally, it got cold. And I was sitting there wrapped up in my new weighted blanket with my little cup of tea. And I was like, "Mm, it's fall. And I was thinking, like, Daniel is panicking. Daniel is probably going to go to the lake tomorrow. (laughs) I literally said that in my brain. Like, I knew you were going to do it because I know and love you. (laughs) Uh, It but that's literally what it's been for me. Like every time I go outside, like later in the evening, I'm like, why is it not 70 degrees outside right now? This is horrible. I feel chilly. I don't like feeling chilly. And this I'm like, yeah, sucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I do legitimately love the fall time. It just concerns me because I know it's the harbinger of fucking winter. Yeah. And I don't like the winter here because we don't even get any fucking snow. It's just gray and yeah. dead and cold and rainy. Yeah. It shouldn't be rainy in the winter. It should be snowy. Anyways. I want two feet of that's snow my notes all the on time. It. But granted, I did grow up in the Midwest. But, yeah. I'm like, I'm like already, I've already planned my birthday. Like, to the T. I'm ready. I'm like pumpkin carving, horror movies. Glitter. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be glitter. There has to be glitter. Tell me about. Oh, what are you gonna tell me about? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Oh, I love secrets. Yeah, you don't. You don't even know. You don't even know. All right. 
So, in the spirit of like cooling temperatures and autumnal vibes, marigolds. Oh, I, <laughs> that would be hilarious, <laughs> wouldn't it? I decided to talk about something kind of harvest related. And I'm not going to lie, after rewatching Over the Garden Wall for about the 500th time, I saw a little relation behind the artwork of Over the Garden Wall and the cover of the almanac my grandma and grandpa always used. So I can remember my grandma not only buying the almanac itself, but always getting the corresponding calendar. She would point out dates that were marked as like good to plant and days that were marked as good to get rid of some of the noxious weeds plaguing their gardens. I used to love looking at moon phases on the calendar and waiting until nighttime and comparing them. And a lot of my most fond memories were spent on their farm and gleaning the little bits of knowledge about the old mountain traditions behind farming. You know, many of which are based on a lot of the more pagan portions of our Irish and Scottish ancestry, but that's for a different podcast. We'll cover that at some point. (laughs) But today, I want to focus on the oldest continuously printed almanac to exist. That's the old farmer's almanac. That's that's what I went for today. I'm so into this. I have an old farmer's cat. Uh, sorry, old farmer's. I'm so excited. I can't even speak. Old farmer's almanac <laughs> cat catalog. No, not catalog. Calendar. I have a cat calendar right over there. I love the old farmer's almanac. This is so exciting. So, literally, a lot of my youth is it has been consumed by looking at this almanac and like my grandparents always had a farm. I used to spend every summer out there, and the reason I part of the reason I chose the almanac to talk about is because it's released every September and I feel like since we're moving into September the new one's getting released so it just stands to reason that I would talk about the Old Farmer's Almanac. But for those of you that don't know, the Old Farmer's Almanac is a periodical that talks about everything from weather forecasts and planting charts to astronomical data and recipes. Like it's got all kinds of stuff in it. It includes articles about gardening, sports, astronomy, folklore, and they even include some stuff about predictions on the next fashion moves and food and other lifestyle topics. So it's, yeah, they do. I don't know if you've ever actually gotten the almanac, but they talk about a lot in them. I've never read all the way through. I've only read the planting stuff. But literally since, literally, I mean, since we're there, it's been in publication since 1792. 1792 was the first time they released it, and that makes it the oldest continuously released periodical in North America. Wow. Literally, it's been around for so long. And like I said earlier, I kind of went more plant-adjacent. Yeah, it's been one of the oldest continuously released periodicals in North America. And like I said earlier, I'm going to focus more on the almanac itself instead of the plant aspect of it all. I'm just going to kind of talk about the history of the almanac and I think that it's a good time to do that. I think it's fun. But I want to start by talking about the original editor of the almanac itself and his name is Robert B. Thomas. He was born in 1766 and founded the periodical in 1792. As a little blurb to help you get into, like, the time frame of when all of this was happening, this is when George Washington was in office as the president of the United States. Baby America. So, Robert Thomas grew up on a farm in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, and so naturally he was raised into farm life. His father was focused on making sure the farm was profitable, but also making sure that his children received a good education, which wasn't necessarily true for a lot of farmers back in that time. So Robert was kind of fortunate in the fact that uh, he got access to a lot of educational programs from like improving his penmanship to arithmetic. And so his time was filled with that in the winter when the farm wasn't super active. And in his breaks from school, he also focused on bookbinding, which gave him the opportunity to kind of like make a little, have kind of a little side hustle, I guess, and make a little money off of something that wasn't farming in his, in his summertime. So at night he would bind books. Robert 
found a book in his father's library when he was a little bit older called Ferguson's Astronomy. And considering the fact that he was more educated than a lot of people of that time, he found this book really fascinating and decided that he kind of wanted to make an almanac of his own. I mean, literally this guy was, he he kind of won the lottery on fucking having a farming dad because he literally got sent to one of the earlier iterations of Princeton. Like he was a Princeton graduate, like Ivy League graduated man. But after all of this, he just, because of the influence of the book, Ferguson's Astronomy, he decided to focus on the almanac. He spent one of his summers trying to go find one of the leading people running calculations for an almanac of the time. His name was Dr. S. Stearns. Unfortunately, that meeting never happened, but he continued to study these almanacs, and the following autumn, he tried to purchase a hundred almanacs with another person's calculations, but that person refused to let him have them. So at this point, I can only imagine that Robert is getting fucking annoyed yeah. that he's spending so much time and energy and can't do, like, can't get into this business at all. So he decides to make a fucking almanac of his own. Hell yeah, self-published, baby. And I thought this was kind of fun. In his autobiography, he also kind of throws some shade at one of the existing almanacs, saying... I knew there were many things in his that were generally not approved of and which I knew I could remedy. So I think that's a pretty shady comment. Yeah. (laughs) So homie knew that he was about to turn this shit on its head. He was like planning on getting some vindication and the fact that he couldn't Mm. break out into the industry. And he was like, I'm a fucking fix all this shit. You guys don't know shit about. I'm smart. Let's go for it. You know what's going to happen? Someone's going to release a post-propagated episode that's like, I'm going to fix all the shit that Daniel and Frankie (laughs) did not know anything about, and they did a bad job. (laughs) Honestly, I welcome it, and I will listen to it, because that's amazing. We're shady queens anyways. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So Robert goes back to book bidening to make some money and have time to finish his education. So... After finishing his last semester of schooling, he decided to no longer pursue his education and decided to spend more time bookbinding again, and he was determined to create an almanac of his own. He spent the summer of 1792 getting calculations help from a professor in Boston, and by the latter part of August, he was ready for the 1792 to 1793 almanac to be released. Now, his first iteration only sold 3,000 copies, which back then is still a not a small number yeah but by the second year he had tripled his sales to nine thousand copies which is pretty incredible that's a pretty large growth yeah yeah i'm proud of that i'm proud of him so robert thomas remained the editor until he was about 80 years old which was in 1846 up until that point it was known simply as the farmer's almanac his editorial successor John H. Jinks added the word old to the title as an homage to Robert and the fact that it was already one of the oldest continually running almanacs. And it also distinguished this particular almanac from the other more common almanacs of the era. Now that we know just a little bit about the history, because I could literally, we could talk all day about the history of all that. But now that we know a little bit about the history of the publication itself, I'm going to talk a little bit about how it works. I'm not going to get super deep into it. Yeah, pick one up. If you're into plants and planting, they are the best. They're very fun to read. They're so cool. They're even just cool objects to have. Like, they're just cool. I like them. In essence, Thomas had studied solar activity, astronomical cycles, and weather patterns to create kind of a secret forecasting formula. And, by the way, that same formula is still used today. And other than the few people who started and continue to write the almanac, no one really knows the exact formula, except for them. So it's like a super top secret thing. Another fun fact, this formula is kept in an old black tin box at the almanac offices in Dublin, New Hampshire. Which is kind of really fun. It's like in the same area that he like started all of this which i think is kind of cool and now while they still use that same formulation 
Obviously, these calculations have been refined over the years. More modern-day publications use data from NOAA, or if you don't know what that is, that's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And they even include observations about, like, sunspots and solar activity. Oh, cool. Which is cool. So they, like, kind of track all of that and use it to add to, like, planting seasons and how your plants are going to do during the summer, that kind of thing. And these forecasts are actually prepared as much as 18 months in advance. So over a year of forecasting is made before they're able to release their publication. Huh. Which is kind of wild to think about. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it goes over like historical data and everything. NOAA's, I'm pretty sure NOAA does their forecasts in decades so every 10 years they re- they release a new data pool and i don't think we're i think that the last one would have been in 2010 so the data that they use to make the most current almanacs would be from would be partially from noah's 2010 report and then there'll soon be based on noah's 2020 reports which i'm sure will if you don't know anything about climate change, be significantly <laughs> different than the 2010 I reports. I was wondering about that and was going to ask you about that because I feel like climate is changing so rapidly now. Like, obviously, the formula's probably got to change, right? Or is there no research into that yet? I don't think that the formula itself will change because, it, I'm, I mean, obviously, no one knows how the formula exactly works. Yeah. But I imagine that it just reads the data over the past few years and uses that to calculate the future cast of it all Hmm. so it probably doesn't have to change that much but the results of those are going to get more extreme than they probably were in the past if that makes any sense totally it is also important to note that as the publication has grown it has been made to represent all of the specific regions of north america so originally it just dealt with the continental united states But now we have 16 different regions that are released in the U.S. in paper publication, five for Canada in paper publication, and you even have online publications where you can find regional info for Hawaii, Alaska, the Yukon in Canada, and the other northwestern Canada provinces. So it's expanded significantly. Where it used to just cover portions of the continental United States, it now covers the entire North American continental and otherwise landmass. Um, a small thing that Thomas did, so before any of the other editors had come along, a small thing that Thomas did to differentiate his almanac from others was to drill a hole in the almanac itself, which allowed the subscribers to hang their almanac in their home to be able to look at it more regularly. And I know that seems like a super small thing but the extra effort that he put in to drill holes into each edition of the almanac was something people really loved. So that's yeah. part of, you know, the the reasoning behind his almanac's specific popularity. Well, he thought about how it functions in a person's home. Right, which is important. Yeah, I think that's cool. And this is what I was saying that I would get to later. If you look at the cover of... The current, even the current modern day almanac, it's the same Four Seasons, which is the name of the piece of art created by Hammett Billing. And that cover art hasn't changed since 1851. Wow. Yeah, so wild. And it's that cover that kind of makes me think of um, Over the Garden Wall, because, you know, it kind of has that like old school harvest vibe going about it. And I love that. And that's what made me kind of decide to do this this week because I thought that was a kind of cool little crossover. Yeah. One other kind of fun fact that I have about the old Farmer's Almanac is that it's said that it could have been used as a piece of evidence in an 1858 trial. Wait, what? I, I, I thought that this was wild when I was reading it. In 1858, they had a trial where they had a lawyer named Abraham Lincoln... I know, weird, whatever. But he was said to have used a copy of the almanac to argue the innocence of his client, William Armstrong. 
and he was on trial for murder in Illinois. Huh. So they used this almanac to say that Charles Allen, who was a supposed witness who claimed to have seen the crime take place by light of the moon, by light of the moon, that's the uh-huh. specifically important uh-huh. part, they used it to say that he could not have actually witnessed the crime under the conditions stated. This was because the almanac said the moon was in its first quarter, which means it already wasn't super bright, and would have been riding low in the sky about to set over the horizon when he said he witnessed this crime. Dang, testimony, boom. <laughs> Crazy fucking shit. Now, he should of course, have had a marigold in his pocket. <laughs> right, I mean, maybe he did. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> and, of course, there's some debate over whether it was the same almanac or not because the original copy that was presented as evidence was not kept. But, in my opinion, I have faith that they would have used the most prominent almanac of the time. So... I'm just going to say it was the old farmer's almanac because that's more fun and I like that. Yeah, for sure. Into it. So obviously as you get more and more into the years of having an almanac, you have a shift in the emphasis of what's important. So where it was once a periodical discussing several topics equally, around 1861, a new editor took hold and his focus was on farming. So before that, it was obviously had to do with farming, but had a much broader focus. And that shift itself lasted through three editors. A couple of them didn't last very long, but it lasted through three editors. But by 1877, this man named Robert Ware became editor. And then after him was his brother Horace Ware, who took his place in 1900. And they both maintained that the almanac should serve a broader audience and so they replaced this like heavier scientific agricultural side of the almanac that had taken hold for a couple decades and decided that they would focus with more or take put the focus on more general nature and modern life pieces Mm -hmm. which kind of is why in my opinion is why you still see the almanac having the kind of hold even in today's society. But again, I could talk all day about the editorial differences in each new position and how that led to either the growth or decrease in cells of the almanac. But that's a lot. I'm not going <laughs> to do that to you all. One thing that I will say as a disclaimer is that as much as I love the Old Farmer's ac- Almanac, it's not necessarily the most accurate. For example, the USA Today states that according to numerous media analyses, neither the Old Farmanac's Almanac nor the Farmer's Almanac gets it right. John Walsh at the University of Illinois reviewed five years of monthly forecasts and found about 50.7% of the temperature forecasts and 51.9% of the precipitation forecasts were in the correct direction. Whereas a randomly generated forecast would be correct about 50% of the time anyways. Oh, no. Oh, why did you have to tell me this? I got to ruin it. I, I mean, I if I'm not sad at the end of the episode, am I doing it right? Because that's what I've been doing every episode, <laughs> Is right? Is it a so, Daniel section? <laughs> um, oh, but obviously, so they're still really fun to read. And it's not saying that it's going to be wrong, but you shouldn't. But you shouldn't base your whole shit on that either. I will say, if you are going to indulge, buy yourself a calendar because every month it focuses on one plant, and that's pretty cool. But also, keeping in true form of the same level of shade that Robert had when he started the fucking almanac, (laughs) in its bicentennial edition, the almanac stated, neither we nor anyone else has as yet gained sufficient insight into the mysteries of the universe to predict whether with anything resembling total accuracy. So, they ain't wrong. Like, look at a, it, look at any forecaster that you've ever, like, look at any meteorologist and tell me that they do a great job either. You never know. Yeah. As someone who has studied and done meteorology, like, it's, it, it's just, it's, it's a crapshoot. <laughs> it really is. But I love that even literally 
200 years later, the almanac still be throwing that shade at its fucking, at its fucking haters. I'm into it. <laughs> I think it was fun to cover something that like, especially since it's getting closer to that harvesting season, covering something that for literal centuries farmers have been using to help guide their planting and harvesting. Anyways, I hope you all have fun listening to that. Yeah, um, I loved it. Okay, it was a lot. I'm just going to say, at the beginning, we talked about, you're like, I don't know if this will fit. And I'm just going to say, if this doesn't fit, what does? Like, this is... I mean, fair enough, fair enough. I didn't know when I said that that you were going to do something also super seasonal and relative. Yeah. So, relevant. I mean, you, relative you know relevant. me well mm-hmm. enough to know the second a cool air just, like, slightly touches my cheekbones... I'm like, it's fucking fall. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, facts. I love and hate that about you. <laughs> I'm always so ready. I feel like, so you're like summer fall and I'm fall winter. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird to me. I'm more spring summer if we're being honest, but I can yeah, handle I guess fall. True. I'm just going to say Daniel and I both have October birthdays and we are going to have so much fun this October. I have so many fun activities planned gonna be the best birthdays ever and also the episodes are gonna be the most fun too because they're all gonna be nice and spooky and fun and we're ready for you all to hear what i'm sure we have both already started some cool research on and it's gonna be really cool yeah so excited about that i also want to just one more time make sure that i give jeff ellis a shout out because he sent us a really cool gift which if you follow our instagram you already saw that he gave us a really cool over the garden wall art book and Mm -hmm. it is super dope and i just really appreciate that somebody is listening and taking the time to consider us while they're listening and that's really fucking cool so thank thank you. you jeff i appreciate it and i told you that i would make sure to give you an awesome shout out so here it is thank you so much jeff jeff thank you jeff yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cool. We love over the garden. Well, I, I had to make a song. I feel like it was just appropriate. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been singing everything lately. That's how you know it's fall and I'm like coming alive. <laughs> I know. As soon as Frankie gets sing songy, I know that it's about to be the worst season ever. I'm just kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, just like, kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Here's your fucking hot toddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. As a bartender, though. I have to love you to make hot toddies for you because they be annoying. They do be annoying. Oh, you do love me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anyways, thank you all so much for joining us. Like we said, we have a bunch of good stuff for October, like so much that it'll probably leak into November. Um, Spooky shit, spooky season. It's our favorite season. So keep on listening. Thank you for listening. Check us out on Instagram at Propagated Podcast. And on Twitter at Propagated Pod. Nailed it. And our email is propagatedpodcast at gmail.com. And you know what we want to see? We want to see your questions. We want to see your plants. We want to see your whatever you're putting in the ground for fall. We want to see your marigolds. We want to see your old, farm, uh, old farmer's almanac. We want to see your old farmer's almanac. We <laughs> want to see it all. Just send it to us. Ask us your questions. Maybe we'll shout you out in a mini episode. Yeah. We love you, and we are so happy that you're here with us on this journey. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye, guys. Mwah, mwah, mwah.